Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 37 of the podcast show. We started off something with something from uh, Sun Ra, kind of in celebration of his 100th birthday. And it's fitting because... We also have the person who released this record here with us in the studio, James Limbloom from Roratorio Records out of Minneapolis. And James, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we've talked for years about having you come down. And <laughs> now that the weather <laughs> is such, I can actually make a drive down from Minneapolis to Mankato right. without worrying about sliding off the road. That's right. It yeah. all worked out. Beautiful day. So um, Yeah, totally. It's great because the last record you put out, this kind of works out, it kind of coincided real nicely here gelled that last record you put out was this Sun Ra record uh, Other Strange Worlds and it just so happened like I mentioned uh, 100th anniversary of when he arrived on earth that's right, right? don't say so birthday not yeah. birthday yeah. right we <laughs> you can't say that for yeah. Sun Ra so today we're going to kind of be mixing things up you brought down some kind of um Sun Ra rarities, some early Saturn releases. Yeah, yeah. I tried to pick out some Saturns that hadn't been reissued yet, so hopefully this will be new to uh, a lot of people's ears. Yeah, and, and throughout the show we'll play that, and then we're going to bring in some stuff from Roratorio Records, too. You brought some things, some catalog titles, so we'll be uh, kind of digging deeper into that. But we are going to start off with one of those Saturn releases. Uh, James, what are we playing here? This is a song called We Live to Be... And it's a Saturn album called Somewhere Over the Rainbow from 1977. And uh, I don't think this particular Sun Ra composition has shown up on any of his other albums. So let's, uh, let's give this one a spin. Thank you. 
All right, we just ended a set of Sun Ra stuff from early Saturn releases. That was a track called Quiet Ecstasy from an album out of out 1981, I think it was, that we said from Aurora Borealis. Kind of like we were talking off mic about one of the few times you've heard Ra that in that solo mm-hmm. mode 
and just beautiful playing. On no, the I mean that's Ron was a, an absolutely wonderful pianist, and uh, it's it's one of his talents that I think got ignored a lot during his lifetime because everybody would focus on the costumes or yes. the more you know outlandish Moog solos or what have you. But he was you know the guy grew up in 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 you know arranging for Fletcher Henderson and you don't do that kind of stuff if you don't have talent yeah. so the yeah. guy could play the guy could play <laughs> that's all there is to yeah. it in front of that from uh, an, uh, an album that you said was probably one of your favorites from him Omniverse yeah that's a great one and we heard a track called West End Side of Magic City which again beautiful playing on that LP it's a, yeah that, that record it's uh, 1979 it's a, it's a quintet date and it's fairly inside mm-hmm. as far as uh, you know his kind of his style goes and um that that song in particular i think would be a great standard for for other people to cover if only it was you know on an album that didn't come out uh, you know in a hundred copies right right of them yeah yep. yeah um and then we let off the top of the set with that track from sunrana's orchestra called we live to be from somewhere over the rainbow now none of these records were a part of this recent wave of digital releases or were some of them nope no, nope. okay. those are all still, uh, you know, awaiting awaiting reissue. The uh, the iTunes reissues that happened earlier in the week, I think, were all ones that may have been on evidence, um, or there was a, uh, you know, there, there's been a whole bunch of Saturn kind of vaguely legitimate vinyl issues in the last ten years or so. So I think all the iTunes ones were things that you could probably find in physical format without. You know, having to break open the piggy bank, <laughs> right? But um, there are bonus tracks and unreleased versions and things like that that I haven't really, you know, spent any time pouring through yet. Right. Well, I want to talk about because we started off with that uh, track from y- the record that you released called "Other Strange Worlds." How how did that come to be? And I mean, I think this has got to be a big thrill for you or for anybody oh, who's was. a fan of Sun Ra to to be a part of that legacy. So how did that record? Oh, it's a great happen? thrill. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been running this label for. 14 years now I think and you know the idea when I started it if I was ever told that you're gonna be putting out a Sunra record I would have you know I would have lost it, it amazing <laughs> I had been reading this uh, oral history of the ESP disc label called um, always in trouble mm-hmm. and one of the interview subjects was this fellow named uh, fellow named Michael Anderson who had been working with the revived ESP label on uh, archival projects, and it mentioned specifically uh, Charles Gale, one of my favorite saxophone mm-hmm. players. And I remember that Gale had recorded an album for ESP in the 70s, shortly before they folded, and it had never come out. And it's it's a session that I had been pursuing through one venue or another for years trying sure, to get it yeah. out. And uh, I talked to Michael and asked him if this thing was still in existence, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, it's still around." As a matter of fact, there were you know two albums he cut for him. And, we went back and forth and Charles didn't want the sessions to come out. And then Michael says, well, you know, I'm also the administrator of the Sunra archives. So would you possibly be interested instead in putting out a previously unreleased Sunra record? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, Why, yes, yes, I, I would. would. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, one of the ones that he offered up was this other strange worlds record, which was a, um, a recording that Rod did in 1965 in his apartment. And it's the same, methodology that he used on his strange strings record which um in the vast catalog of all of his his releases is one of his strangest it's mm-hmm. uh he had 
picked up a variety of these exotic string instruments around shops in New York, and he'd handed them to his longtime band and just said, play. You know, they had no previous facility with him. He just right, said, improvise. Right. He called it a study in ignorance. <laughs> and I, I love that record. I think it's great. That one is a full band record, and this Other Strange Worlds one is a, it's a quintet date. So mm-hmm. even within that small subset, I don't think this record sounds like anything else that he's done. So, um, yeah, that was a pleasure to put that one out. And I've got another one being lined up for release, hopefully in the fall. Uh, another previously unissued record of mm-hmm. Sonny's called uh, Other, not Other Strange Worlds, um, Sign of the Myth. Uh, this one dates from 1973 from the same sessions that uh, Pathways to Unknown Worlds oh, came okay. out of. Yeah, one of yeah. the Impulse ones. So, uh, yeah, that one's lined up and work on some cover art and hopefully so, in the fall. Based on your conversations with Michael, you know, who mm-hmm. kind of oversees this, I mean, is there a pretty sizable chunk of still unissued material out there? I mean, I, I mean, just think of how many releases have come out over the years. There is. I mean, apparently the Sunra recorded everything. Mm-hmm. So, and I haven't, you know, I don't know exactly how many old reel-to-reels that uh, Michael's sitting on. But um, there's a lot out there. And okay. I was trying to focus on things like the unreleased uh, studio material, like, you know, not to necessarily have like the 83rd live version yeah, yeah. place or something. I wanted something that would stand out. And I think these records really do. Well, I think they're unique within his catalog, yeah. too. Like something that adds to his legacy yes, instead of just, you know. Here's more. Yeah, here's more. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess this is maybe a nice segue into to the Roratorio catalog here and some of the jazz stuff that you've done. Um, somebody you've worked with, or a couple of artists you've worked with multiple times now is both Steve Lacey and Joe McPhee right. uh, on various releases. So we're going to play uh, something from the duo release from them called The Rest. Right. And right. Um, I'm trying to think in the in the scheme of things here, this came out, was it middle of last year or so? Yeah, yeah, just about a year ago now. It's uh, the music itself dates from 1977. I want to say there was a concert. Uh, the bill was Steve Lacey and Joe McPhee each doing solo sets. Uh, Joe went first. Steve went second. Joe finished his set and as he's walking off, and Steve is walking on. Um, Steve says, "Well, you should you should join me. You know, come out at the end of my set, and we'll, we'll play together." And Joe was thinking, "I don't know what should, what should, what should I play." He's like, you know, "It's like, well, I can't play the tenor because it's too loud. I don't know, you know." Well, okay, I'll play the soprano. So here he is. He's playing soprano with, you know, the reigning master of the soprano saxophone. And he finished the duo and was absolutely certain that he had embarrassed himself, (laughs) embarrassed his family, embarrassed the entire jazz community. He's going to hang it up after that. (laughs) Right, right. So he didn't even listen to the tape for like 20 years. And then finally he brought himself around to listen to it. He said, you know, this is... It's actually pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. then he passed it on to me, and it seemed like the perfect uh, one-sided album. You know, there was no extra material, so I just said, "All right, we'll do it as a you know as a one-sided record," and uh, and that's how it came out. And and we are going to play the entirety of this one-sided album. Excellent. So the track is called "The Rest," and once again, this is from Steve Lacey and Joe McPhee. <laughs>
right, we just heard something from Joe McPhee and Chris Corsano, a record called Scraps and Shadows. Came out last year or the year before, was it? A couple years ago now, I think, yeah. yeah. Great live set from that duo who have another thing that you've done as well? Yeah, that Scraps and Shadows was the second of, uh, of the two records of theirs that I've put out so far. And did you say there was possibly a third, or there's some other work that you're doing with Joe McPhee coming up? That's, that's what it is. Um, Joe had recently played a show in Istanbul with a, a Turkish band called Construct mm-hmm. that have done some collaborations over the past several years with other people like Evan Parker and Marshall Allen and uh, Peter Rotsman. And uh, they got a hold of me, and they sent a copy of this to me, and I thought it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Joe said, yeah, these, these guys are the real deal. You know, you, you need to run with it. I said, okay. So we're going to be putting out a show recorded in Istanbul this past uh, March, I think it is. And that's that's probably going to come out, I think, hopefully late summer, depending on how, uh, how, it, how it starts scheduling itself. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in front of that was that uh, sidelong piece from Steve Lacey, Joe McPhee, and that was recorded in the... It was the 70s, correct? We yes. Said, like, yeah, 1977. Yes. But uh, speaking, you, you mentioned a set from Istanbul, I guess, uh, uh, some Middle Eastern sounds from a record that you just put out not too right. long ago. And I know we've, I've played something from them or from this trio uh, on a recent podcast show. This is from A Trio. Or the A Trio. The A Trio. It's easier to say it. Without, it is. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. if you just say A Trio, then like, it makes it confusing. Right. right? <laughs> but tell me a little bit more about this, because I mean, this was a band that was completely new to me, but I was kind of floored when I heard this. Just wh- how, what they're playing. That's exactly and, what and makes how, it so amazing. Yeah. And I had picked up uh, their first album was a CD called Music to Our Ears. They had put out on their own label a couple years ago now, and I just loved it. It was in the best records of 2012 or whatever year it came out. And I contacted them and said, you know, if you have anything else you'd love to come out specifically on on vinyl, um, let me know. And they sent this along. It was a live set from uh, Austria, I think. And what you're about to hear is just three improvising musicians on a trumpet, acoustic bass, and uh, an acoustic guitar, no electricity, no overdubs. And I, you know, when I first heard them, I kind of had the same reaction as when I heard uh, No Neck Blues Band's uh, Letters from the Earth for the first time. Right. Not that it sounds anything no, like no, it, right. but just you're listening to some music and you're thinking, I, I don't even know what instruments are making these sounds. And, you know, there's obviously plenty of other musicians who. Uh, have played around with extended techniques on, on, on their respective instruments. But I think these guys really take it in a different direction that I'd never heard before. Right. And, uh, yeah, it knocked me out. Right. I, I think other than just looking at the, the picture on the back and knowing that's what they're playing, right. I, I, it's hard to place where Occasionally you'll from. hear something and it, it might tip you off. But otherwise, you just, you, yeah. You, and when you, when you get that ungrounded... And what it is that you're listening to, I think it opens up your ears and you hear it a new way. Right. And so we're going to actually play uh, the full piece here from, the, we have the A-side queued up. Yeah, let's do the A-side. Um, and uh, impressive stuff. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name. Uh, do you want to take a stab at it? Or? I, I won't, because I will embarrass <laughs> them if they ever listen to this podcast and they hear them mangling their, their native tongue. Exactly. So yeah. we're just going to say this. This is the A-trio, the A-side from Live in Nickelsdorf. Sounds good. Thank <laughs> you. 
there it was the complete side a from the a trio there uh live in nickelsdorf powerful piece from them and again uh kind of worked through no no editing no processing that no was overdubs yeah just no electricity it's in, yeah. it's incredible like that like they were able to achieve that sound and it was recorded just so perfectly so yeah more from them you had mentioned record coming out yeah, uh, not on your not, label not on my label i wish uh but by the end of the year they've got a collaboration with alan bishop from sun city girls who's now living in egypt right so, right yeah it's a little little easier for them to collaborate than uh perhaps rick so that would be a, another opportunity. I mean, I, I guess that will probably expand their audience some too. I uh, think it will. Having I him involved. Yeah, there was an excerpt from that that one on a compilation CD that was given away with a recent issue of Music Works magazine. It sounded fantastic. So I think the I think it'll turn some heads when that one comes out. And is it with him? Like, is Alan Bishop singing on that, or how, what there is there? Some vocal on it. Okay, and it's it's a little more. Um, I guess you could say rhythm oriented at least okay. than, than this piece that we that we just heard, but uh, yeah, it's, it's the same kind of aesthetic of just uh, extremely original textures being created out of instruments that you would ordinarily think that you're familiar with. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Well, we have another long piece to play here. This is from a record that came out a few years ago that you put out uh, from Nelson Gastaldi, and kind of a fascinating story. I mean, his totally, his, yeah. uh, his approach to composing and stuff. Uh, maybe maybe give us some background on him, and I guess what compelled you to put out this album. So, yeah, Gastaldi was an a Argentinian composer who had been creating these symphonies, he called them symphonies, mm-hmm. um, home recorded, that he would overdub, just he would you know perform something on a cassette and then play the cassette back in a boombox, overdub himself while another cassette was playing, et cetera, et cetera. And um, he had never issued anything in, in his lifetime. There was a, a small excerpt from this piece that had come out on a CD included with, I think, the final issue of Banana Fish magazine some years ago. And I think that's where I first heard him. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's where everybody first heard mm-hmm. him, I guess. Um, the guys in the Reynolds had done an interview with him and, and befriended him. And um, I was in contact with them for trying to, to line something like this up. And it took several years, and Gastaldi had passed away in, in the interim, but finally I managed to, to land this and put it out, and uh, I think it sounds wonderful. doesn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's reference points you can hear to other composers, but it's an aesthetic that um, I really don't hear too often. No, yeah. absolutely not. And I hope, I hope there will be more. Uh, he has a full archive of these things that he had recorded himself, and um, it's just, you know, communicating back and forth with uh, Roberto Conlazzo in, in Buenos Aires, hoping that he can finally get some more of these old cassettes transferred to digital mm-hmm. and there'll be more of his work coming out. Cool. Well, we are going to play uh, another sidelong piece. This is the first movement from uh, Symphony Number no. 3. And, uh, I'll, I I'll let you take a crack at <laughs> pronouncing the Siddhartha title. Siddhartha Gautama O.L. I'm just going to stop right there. <laughs> but this was uh, recorded kind of over, a, it says recorded uh, between 72 and 1997. Right. And I mean, was that typical for him that he, this, these pieces just developed over an extended period of time? Or? I honestly don't know, you okay. know if that was something that he was reworking and re-overdubbing for mm-hmm. the period of 25 years or how they arrived at that. That was, that was the dates that was given to me. Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's jump into it again. This is the uh, first movement from uh, Nelson Gastaldi. Thank you. 
We just heard from the king of the song poems, Rod Keith there. Uh, one of the second things that you've done, an album that came out last year called Black Phoenix Blues, or was it actually early this year, perhaps? No, that was uh, end, end of last year. And this, uh, you've done two kind of collections of his work. Three, actually. Did Is a, it three? Yeah, okay. the, the Saucers in the Sky CD. Oh, that's correct. In that's 2005, right. and then... Uh, um, my pipe yellow dream was one I did on vinyl, and then this. Black, that's right. Black that's Phoenix right. Blues. Yeah. So what what is kind of the uh, the material on this release uh, from from previous ones? Wait, like what what era? What are you just kind of culling from anything that you can find to kind of put together a cohesive record? It's that's exactly it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, it's it's from '66 up through his death in '74, mm-hmm. and then I would just try to find something that seemed to flow well, and you know, picking the best songs. And, um, and that one we just heard uh, was called Sing My Death Note. It's the only one on the album that did not come off of a song poem record, but instead came off of one of the uh, private reels that was in um, Rod's collection. It is a song poem. It came from apparently like the raw studio uh, tape, and I think it's a demo. It sounds unfinished, and it's... It's kind of harrowing. It's, it's, it's very uh, dis- yeah. It's, it's, it's a customer who sent in essentially his his suicide note, and um, you know when I when I was originally thinking about putting it on, I really liked the song. I thought it was really powerful, but knowing that you know Rod also killed himself that that same year that he recorded it, I was thinking, Jesus, is this just too much? You know, morbid exploitation to put this this tune right, on here. Right. But I played it for a bunch of people, and they all seemed to think it was really powerful enough to be included. So, uh, so I did, and uh, yeah, and, it's, and, it, and it rounds off the first side of that uh, release, which oh, there's some there's some really good gems on that record for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, track that one down. The the record again is called Black Phoenix Blues, and then that uh, lengthy piece we heard in front of that again was First Movement from uh, Nelson Gastaldi, and hopefully, maybe fingers crossed, there'll be more work from uh, Nelson coming out on fingers crossed. <laughs> but uh, we're uh, kind of on the home stretch here uh, of the show, and we've got some shorter pieces here to play. Starting off with another kind of a nice score for you in terms of reissue work that you're doing. Uh, this Crystal Siphon one, which I think caught a lot of people by surprise and you know a lot of people's attention with this record uh, yeah some great I mean, stuff on there just when you thought that the uh the vaults had been emptied of every last great you know san francisco band from the 60s uh this one appeared out of nowhere it was uh a friend of mine was moving into an apartment here in in minneapolis um that was being vacated by a guy and his uh daughter and granddaughter the guy, his name is Bob, had to stay on the, in the apartment for an extra month. So my friend Ryan was roommates with him for a while. So they got to be friends, and Bob would say to him, "Oh, Ryan, well, I see you're in a band. I used to be in a band too back in the '60s. You know, we, we played <laughs> with you know the Dead and the Airplane and, and Credence, and and we recorded a whole bunch of stuff that we never put out. Um, here, here's a copy of it. 
and he gave it to Ryan. Ryan passed it on to me, and I thought, oh man, this is fantastic. It's mm-hmm. you know great, you know great harmonies, great songwriting, killer guitar playing, and um, I got a hold of Bob and said, hey, you know this is great stuff. I'd love to put it out, and he talked to the other members of the band, and they seemed into it. So I went ahead and I pressed it up, and uh, it went into a few more pressings, and now they're back together. They're playing gigs, and, uh, you know, it's so, a success story. So the record, it, like, this really never saw the light of the day. Back never in, saw back the light of the time. day. They had some offers from labels, but they wanted complete artistic control. Okay, And, yeah. you know, in 1968 or 1969, that really wasn't something that an unknown band could ask for from a major label right. and receive. So they recorded all this material, never put it out. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, was this now. like the original artwork that they had intended to for the release, or is this something that put like, put together after the fact or when you that, were doing that? That was uh, it was, a, it was from a Fillmore West poster that they had a you know for one of, one of their gigs. Okay, okay. From yeah. a, uh, Norman Orr, who was one of the, I guess I'd say you know lesser known only probably because less prolific. Um, psychedelic poster artists, you know, not like a on the level of like Victor Moscoso or right, you right. know the people that you usually think of. But he did a lot of good work, and I contacted him, and he said, "Sure, I'd love to, you know, give you permission to do it. Go ahead." So cool, awesome. Cool. Yeah, so we're gonna play uh, the opening cut from this record. I guess the Smash It single. The Smash It <laughs> single. This this was the first song that I heard that said, "Yeah, this is this is something I want to be involved with." Yeah, and I think this will probably uh, make you want to buy this record too. Right? So. so yeah, this is called Marcy Your Eyes.
we just heard from Rotate the Completer, kind of a, a little-known street performer from New Zealand and a record. And you have two records out uh, from Rotate the Completer. This is the That's first right. of them. Yeah. So uh, we heard track number six uh, from the completed rotations of. And I, I really, really like this record. Mm-hmm. I think the playing is really strong on it. I think most people who would come to it thinking, oh, this is an quote-unquote outsider artist would be maybe taken aback a bit by how... like. Accomplished, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. And how did you come across Rotate the Completer's work? Because I mean, he's not, you know, he's not certainly well known by any no, by any means. No, he's so. not. Someone on the outsider music list on, on Yahoo had posted um, a tale where they said they were walking down the street one day in uh, Taranga, New Zealand, which is not a city known for the music as much as you know, like Dunedin or Auckland or what have you and saw this guy playing guitar in the street that seemed to be like the reason why everyone is clearing a wide berth around him. <laughs> they were a little fearful. Yeah. So, you know, this guy was standing watching him and um, he said, you know, like, thank you. Like, I really enjoyed it. You know, when the guy was finished performing and the performer just like got really nervous and started walking away and he managed to follow him to like a, like a fruit stand, like, you know, hounding him, like saying, I really, really liked it. <laughs> and, um, you know, just wrote his address down on a piece of paper and said, if you have any any music, please, you know, I'd love to buy something and stuff it in his pocket. And like six months later, this cassette tape showed up um, out of the blue and it was, it took him a minute to realize like, oh yeah, this was the guy that I saw on the, on the street, you know, like half a year ago. Um, long story made slightly shorter. I, I got a hold of him, you know, just wrote him a letter because there was an address attached to it and got my own copy of the cassette and uh, said, you know, I'd love to put this out on vinyl and, you know, get it to a wider audience. And uh, he agreed. He wrote up a contract in an interesting way. And um, and that was it. I mean, I don't know what his name is. I don't know what his mom calls him. I only know him as Rotate the Completer. <laughs> right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. And he's never wanted to tell me. I've never asked. And is and the stuff that you've released, is that all that you're aware of? I mean, is, are there a lot of tapes floating around of his still? There is a third one that he's done, which... Um, he sent me a, a CDR of. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how active he is. I don't know if he performs on the street a lot or if he records a lot or or, or what. But uh, I just loved, you know, that as you were saying, just like how, um, you know, how technically good he is right. at the same time that he's incorporating this completely oddball aesthetic and it just makes it sound like a, you know, like a carousel music that went off the rails. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, yeah, so if anybody has any more information about Rotate the Complete, yes, <laughs> get in touch yeah. with James. Or don't tell me. I kind, of, yeah, I kind yeah. of like not knowing. Right, yeah, know? the, yeah. The, the, yeah. the mystique behind that, right? right. But uh, uh, in front of that, again, Crystal Siphon, which you said you're down to kind of like your last copies and possibly another repressing coming up for that release. So those Possibly, yeah. And there is definitely going to be a second Crystal Siphon release coming, uh, hopefully by the end of the year, of more recordings from, from the 60s. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But uh, we are going to head into our last track, and I just want to say thanks again, James, no, for thanks, uh, for driving down and uh, bringing some of these great records with Sun Ra stuff. Uh, and uh, but this one here, uh, a great one of my favorites within your catalog, a real short-lived group out of Minneapolis called Knife World. Yeah, and uh, this was their only release. I think they may have had a couple of they had a cassette that yeah. they put out for a tour, but uh, this was the only one that I that I put out before they before they dissolved. Yeah, great duo. Uh, 
amazing musicians. And one of the more interesting uh, uh, pieces of artwork that you've done with this one, uh, I'll let you explain what, what went into creating this one. It's, uh, it's something maybe if you want to put a photo up on the, on the, on the blog site to you know, yeah, look at yeah. later. But um, the guys in the band had the idea of doing a 3D cover and then not just including like a little pair of paper glasses stuck in the jacket, but actually mounting the glasses in the vinyl itself in the center label. And it was a, you know, laborious process. There was no <laughs> template to follow, but we, you know, ordered up, you know, a huge box of 3D glasses and stripped the filters out, drilled eye holes in each individual record, mounted them, and uh, they did this incredible gatefold diorama. Uh, and then treated it in 3D. So it's uh, how many records were lost in the making? Did you damage or break any records in the process of that? Some got damaged, <laughs> and just because of the uh, the flex of vinyl that like would go flying, shards coming yeah, off. I, yeah, I have a small amount in reserve that if anybody has a completely damaged copy because it showed up <laughs> that way, I will send you a you know a pristine replacement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, again, this is going to be our last cut. If you do have any questions uh, for me, you can shoot me an email at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Otherwise, uh, check back in a couple more weeks for another uh, installment of the podcast. But here is Sunbeam from the self-titled release from Knife World. <laughs> 